let's say you're 100 flowers, a lot of their business is actually influencers or referrals. You can see as much as 20-25% of total revenue being attributed back to like referral revenue or influencer affiliate revenue. It really depends on the brand that you have. We see Glossier and other brands that build completely off influencers and these are people who basically approach their marketing strategy not as hey let me buy all these ads compete with my network but let me just give it all to my network and let them do all the promotions for me creating an influencer or affiliate program is a huge headache for most brands I've heard it time and time again on this show that a lot of brands are like, I don't even know how to get an influencer, where to find them, how to have an actual program. And then how do you even go about vetting the people that you let in or assigning them links and promotions and then keeping an eye on their content? And what about tracking performance and understanding conversions? All of this sounds like a nightmare, especially for smaller brands, but it doesn't have to be. Shibo Zhu is the co-founder and COO of Refersion, which was built on the idea that you could completely flip that process on its head. Instead of the burden falling on the brands completely, now influencers have to prove their worth from the start. And rather than getting lost in vanity metrics or other out-of-date KPIs, brands can choose to place value only in a select few areas. These ideas help launch Refersion to success and help the brands that work with Refersion, like Pura Vida, Impossible, and 19,000 others, remove some of the challenges of influencer marketing that have plagued them for years. Shibo talks about all that and more on this episode of Up Next in Commerce which was guest hosted by my colleague, Albert Chow, who gallantly filled in for me when I was sick for two days with no voice. I hope you enjoy listening in as much as I did. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. And if you hear my voice, it definitely is different. This is no longer Stephanie. My name is Albert Chow. I work at The Mission. I am guest hosting today for the COO and co-founder of Reversion, Reversion, excuse me, Shibo Zhu. Shibo, welcome to the show. Hey, Albert. Nice to meet you. Hey, Shibo. Nice to meet you as well. And before we go any further, please tell everyone exactly what is Reversion, what does it do, and why does it matter to commerce sellers? Yeah. uh, Reversion is an affiliate tracking and influencer tracking platform. So we help merchants measure and sign up influencers and affiliates and figure out of the thousands of orders you have every month, which ones came from who and how much commission you owe them. So we help you run that entire process. 
All right. Now, I want to dive into the the technicalities of this product really quickly because I'm going to come at this conversation from the perspective of a merchant who's been burned. I think you are familiar with what I'm talking about. So, for a lot of merchants and sellers, they have experience with affiliate marketing, but their experience has largely been, I would say, less than ideal. There's a lot of I call them clickjacking, clickjackers that are in the you know affiliate world. They'll just set up sites, or you know they'll actually buy PPC traffic at a number that's just low enough to make an arbitrage commission. There's like low quality traffic. There's a lot of positives certainly, but there's also a lot of negatives. And so I'd love to hear how Refersion, like what makes it unique, what makes it different, because it sounds like you're working. You know, you mentioned influencers. So I'd love to hear what makes it unique that makes it a little different from what maybe a merchant who's been burned by affiliate marketing before has has experienced. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good question. It's it's a wild world out there, um, <laughs> for sure. And what we try to do is just focus on the data. We try to give the merchant all the data they need to make a good decision. Like, is this clickjacking? Is this coming from a coupon site? Did this referring URL actually come from like coupon cabin? Uh, yeah. Instead of like you know clicking onto the home page, clicking onto the page itself and landing there and actually completing a purchase, uh, so we really try to take a step back there and give the merchant all the information they need to make these decisions and decide whether or not they want to credit this influencer and affiliate. On another level, though, I think it's interesting to think about what kind of product you have. If they're able to make the marketing math work, how are they making that math work, and why can't you beat them at? their own game, right? Uh, as like a PPC. So I think there's a lot of strategies to be learned there. Uh, and you can always pull back the affiliate program, right? Uh, anytime. So I think working with influencers and affiliates and learning some of those strategies can uncover a lot of insights for your brand that could be quite useful. Have you identified or have, do you have any anecdotal stories of people that made a, you know, got a materially different result from using Refersion versus like, uh, you know, there's a lot of affiliate programs out there, but so imagine I just like signed up for CJ or Linkshare and I just, I just did it. You know what I mean? I didn't really order yeah. ten. You know what I mean? Like I, I signed up, I approved some affiliates. All of a sudden I see my commission payouts are going up. My revenue is flat. All of a sudden I'm like, what is this? What am I doing here? And yeah. I've seen the interfaces of all those tools I just mentioned. I mean, they're, they're hideous. They're, like, there's the, the world of affiliates somehow forgot like UI matters. Like, I don't know yeah. how this happened, but like the whole world of UI, like the affiliates don't care about UI. I don't understand. Uh, but, but you know, it, it can be, it can be a daunting task for a merchant sometimes to manage their own systems. I mean, there's actually even, as you know, there's a subculture of business that does affiliate management. So mm-hmm. like, people sign up for affiliate program, they got to hire an affiliate manager, they got to pay commissions. So it's really complicated. I'd love to yeah. hear the stories that you might have as someone who was like in that like struggle and then your data helped figure this out. Yeah. So that's always a hard problem and it's kind of case by case. Um, there's one case study with Pure Vita that I really like sharing where he looked at the total number of affiliates and influencers and realized, okay, I have all these signups. Most of these guys aren't doing anything except for the top yeah. two or three. So he kind of thought about this and just him, like Pure uh, Griffin and Kelly from the Pure Vita team thought about, okay, how do we motivate these folks? They talked to a few of them and realized, okay, it's not actually cash that motivates these folks. They actually love the brand. They want to feel closer to it. So they started mm-hmm. sending bonus rewards, uh, motivating the first sale, third sale, fifth sale. Uh, and that really helped actually lift up the entire kind of long tail of their influencers. And now they're seeing a lot more traction. So that was one of those things that I thought was very interesting. 
and we rely on the merchant looking at the data to understand, hey, we have this long tail. How do we kind of motivate them? How do we identify them, talk to some of them and you know, figure out a strategy that works? The thing about affiliates, uh, and I didn't know this because I didn't come from the affiliate background. I actually came from tech consulting background, kind of building tech products. And the affiliate world is, is old uh, in a certain way. It started, I think, in the 2000s and the 90s with bloggers. Uh, and, you, and you mentioned CJ. Um, and I think in that world, there's a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies. But there's also the same technology is being used to track influencers as well. And so there's a lot of mixing and it's hard to figure out what's good and what's not. Measuring apples to apples, figuring out, looking at conversions, referring resources is probably the best thing we found. So one of the things that's obviously on the rise, you kind of already mentioned it with the, your use case from Pura Vida is the rise of influencers. And I've heard from the merchant side, it's frustrating because everyone says they're an influencer, of course, and they're hitting every merchant up. It's like, hey, yo, give me some free products. You know, I'll be a great influencer for you. You know, one of the things that becomes very, very cloudy is who is and who is not, right? And, <laughs> I, and one of the things that you, you, you've kind of mentioned a couple of times now is this idea of how it's better, you know, your technology can help you better track influencers. I'd love to understand a little bit more about like what you're doing, how you're helping to identify those, you know, like you said, those top one to 2% influencers, which I, that makes sense to me. They're not motivated by money. They just love the brand so much. And so people align to them, like their lifestyle, or I don't know what they're doing. I don't fully understand influencers that much, but, uh, you know, I'd love to hear how, how the data is helping identify who is worth investing in. So the strategy that we kind of give to merchants is that look at your, your few KPIs, like your total revenue, right. From an individual person. Uh, just rank that ac across all your influencers to see who the top people are, and then work with them to understand what strategies they're employing, and then kind of bring that into the rest of the network. When thinking about who to let in, I think it really depends on what phase of the network and what phase of your product it's, it's in. So for example, what I mean by this is that um, I've seen merchants build kind of funnels of influencer strategies. So they would start with awareness. And for that to work well, you would need like an influencer that's maybe a bit bigger, more of like a little celebrity within your network. And then you move from awareness over to consideration where you work with people who maybe have smaller followings and can demonstrate your product a little more, show how it fits into their lives. And then finally work with kind of brand ambassadors or smaller micro-influencers to, to do more of like the conversion activation, uh, performance-based kind of incentives. And that funnel seems to work relatively well. Now, it's really hard to figure out who is a celebrity, who is, you know, the person yeah. who's going to give you the other stuff. And for that, I really recommend there's all these kind of vanity metrics of followers, of um, kind of comments and engagement. And we all know those can be faked to a certain extent. So I would look yep. at those, but really think, look at the content. Just pick out a few, you know, and really just look at their content, make sure they're real people and communicate with them. Uh, just a simple drip campaign can really suss out a lot of information, right? About, hey, I saw you just signed up. Thank you. And tell me what your favorite product is. And, you know, something like that, just to help qualify a little bit can go a long way. Okay. So it's not quite, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I think you do need to do a little labor to figure out is someone actually interested or they're just like signing up for 
I mean, you've been on the other side when you sign up for an affiliate program. You can like be like, I want to be in this, 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 this. Like you can just sign up for hundreds of them, right? Right. Uh, so I think I agree. Like it is, it does require a lot of the manual contact and let's say influencer development to figure out who is going to be a good influencer for your brand. Do you have any types of rating systems or things like that that allow merchants to make it easier for them to identify people such as, hey, this person has a response? Because some of the things I think about, like because I've been on the merchant side trying to find influencers, things I care about beyond commission, uh, of course, follower engagement, but there's other like other parts like, for example... I would love to know how fast you reply to email. I would love to know how many campaigns have you worked on for more than, you know, like maybe six months. Because one of the things that you find with influencers or a lot of influencers today, and I think you'd agree, is that they're not really responsive. Most of them are not responsive. Like, it's amazing how little they respond. Like, like I want to be in your program. Oh, cool. You're going to market my stickers. And they're like, yeah, no, no. They don't say a word after that. Right. I think we have to remember that influencers are kind of consumers in a certain way um, and you have to market to them. And so what I encourage merchants to do is actually to get them into the program at a low commission rate or like just, you know, suss out the sign up and then market to them, create a drip campaign, see who engages and then move them into different offers. At the end of the day, Refersion still likes to look at total order value, total revenue, total conversions driven, right? That to us is the apples to apples that we're measuring across all influencers and people who sign up. But you can kind of put them in different offers, uh, different segments and kind of market to them, right? Differently. For your top performers, you might tell them about new things. For the bottom performance, you might want to keep giving them strategies to try to give them an incentive uh, and a way to to kind of build and and start creating content. They need help getting started. So I think you can't approach influencers as master marketers. I think they're just trying to figure it out like everybody else. (laughs) And so a human approach there, I think, goes a long way. That makes sense. So it's not it's not quite a, uh, you know, install it and then all of a sudden your relationship with these influencers is magical. But you do have good tracking. So I know that I'm getting exactly what I'm paying for. One of the things I want to ask you about, though, is there's a, there's a huge wave, right, where we already know that Apple iPhone accounts for like, you know, substantial amount of traffic for most merchants. That's That's just how it is. And the privacy rules or the privacy objectives that they have are now making it harder to track. It's harder to track traffic over periods of time. That's that's reality. How are how is that impacting your ability to track these affiliates and influencers? Because that's one of the things. Like for example, if I if I was so I'm an avid, I say it in every show. I'm an avid surfer. So if someone I follow is like, hey, this is a good leash to use, I might click on the leash. You already know this, but. From the moment I hear about it to the moment I buy, it might be quite a long time. Of course, these influencers want to get credit. Of course, you want to be able to track them and see their influence. How are you guys approaching the new privacy rules or privacy features of iPhone and other operating systems will follow as well? They're trying yeah. to prevent traffic monitoring over time or behavior monitoring over time. Well, I mean, I don't think that they're actively trying to stop like tracking because they have the like an advertiser ID. They just want you to do it in a more respectful way, right? If the, mm-hmm. if the person says, I don't want to be tracked, they don't want you doing it. Uh, and I agree with that. I think that's probably the right way to move forward. We've been tracking with first-party data for the longest time. And what I mean by that is we embed data, like just like Google Analytics, you know, you, you sure. land on the page and it embeds data against your own domain. So from our perspective, it's your data. It's not our data. 
a lot of times affiliate companies, like some of the incumbents have built their tracking systems on redirects. And so this is what it prevents, this kind of constant jumping. And the yeah. problem with the constant jumping is that that also creates you know, situations where you can have click jacking and things like that. So we, from the ground up, we always built with first party data in mind, embedding the JavaScript onto your page so that you, know, you own it. So as long as Google Analytics is giving you traffic, we're able to kind of do the same thing. We're not necessarily reading from your browser. We're actually generating data, embedding it in there, and then looking at that artifact of data on the order so that we know this all kind of comes through. Uh, so that model is kind of what we work on. And the you know, advertiser information that Apple is providing is helpful, but we're still looking at it kind of our own data on that way and just embedding these tags. And it doesn't matter you know, if I call you number 10, number 15, number 15A, you know, as long as it shows up on the other side, I know that this, this chain wasn't broken. All right. So let's walk through our listeners through this, uh, through what's happening so that they can kind of better understand what's unique about it. So let's, let's use that example. I see an influencer, they're showing me this product, you know, and they say, Hey, smash my link in the bio. Right. So I go to their bio. I'm on Facebook. I smash the link as they requested me to. I'm now on the merchant site, but I don't buy. What record are you recording and how do you ensure that like you're connecting the dots? Because let's say what, what's a person going to do next? They're probably going to go do a little homework or they're going to go do, they're going to you mm-hmm. know talk to some people. Like imagine like the seven day window before I see that product and I buy it. Tell me what your guys are doing on the technical side. You don't have to reveal any secrets, but give us an idea so we know that you can correctly attribute that to that influencer. So once you click that link, uh, a lot of times, like I said, sometimes you would bounce. Maybe it's a bitly link, right? Uh, yeah. If it's a bitly link, you'll bounce a bitly first. Bitly will embed some data and then you'll go to the merchant site. We provide links that, you know, it can be bitly so the affiliate can track as well. But really, we start tracking once the user lands on the merchant site. And they would okay. land with like a parameter at the top, just like a Google Analytics, right? Like source, UTM. We have our own parameter that we read from that tells us which affiliate that parameter belongs to. You come, you come in, you land, we use that parameter to embed some data into your browser so that when you come back to the site, the data exists. Uh, this doesn't use cookies, it's called local storage, which is like a more modern way of embedding data and more compliant, it's what browsers prefer as well. The big difference is that local storage doesn't have an exploration period, although you can wipe it if you like. So now you are a user with a browser that has some of this data embedded that would stick if you revisit this website. You might consider this information, come back, add a cart. If you add a cart, we create another data piece, throw it into your browser. Uh, And it's important to send to your browser because your browser then sends that data back to us and says, hey, these are all the different local storage variables and values that we have. Mm -hmm. So we look at that. Now we have your click uh, ID. We have a we have a cart ID that matches to that click ID. And then our system actually has a listener. So we're looking at every single order in the system and we're trying to match those cart IDs with the cart IDs with clicks that we have. So once we are able to make that chain of the click ID, cart ID, and then cart ID and order ID, we're able to say, hey, this affiliate created this conversion for you. Um, So it kind of goes all the way through. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders. 
distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Up Next in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. I'd love to hear some of the results that some of your clients are seeing. Like they've done well. And I agree. Like it's like any other program, right? You can buy and you, you can buy the world's best email program. And if you don't set up a good email campaign, it's not, it's going to do nothing, right? <laughs> Text, everything. Every program a merchant can do still requires some user input. You know, no different from if you buy, I don't know, a hammer. Doesn't mean you can build something. Right? <laughs> so, but for the people that are, that you're seeing be meticulous about the data, getting rid of low-performing affiliates or click-jacking affiliates that are not leveraging a material lift in revenue, what are you seeing as like a percentage of sales? Are, you, are they seeing lifts? Are they seeing explosions? I'd love to hear some of the stories of like what clients are getting when, they, when you narrow, I guess, you know, your affiliate pool to, or your influencer pool to just these high-power influencers and, of course, get rid of the arbitrage guys. Um, what is happening to top line? Yeah, I would say that in the large companies, like let's say you're 100 flowers, a lot of their business is actually influencers or referrals. You can see as much as 20, 25% of total revenue being attributed back to like referral revenue or influencer affiliate revenue. Um, it really depends on the brand that you have. I mean, we see Glossier and other brands that build completely off influencers and you know, they, these are people who basically approach their marketing strategy, not as, hey, let me buy all these ads, compete with my network, but let me just give it all to my network and let them do all the promotions for me. You know, that's a very different model in terms of how you market the product. And I, I would argue that, you know, that's driving most of your revenue in that situation, right? Uh, so I think it really depends on how you, how you approach it. There's, there's something that I kind of started realizing as I'm talking to you is that I think there's like a, a kind of not incorrect, but a different strategy that has been kind of employed by the incumbents, right? When you work with yeah. CJ and you work with ShareSale, you kind of work with an account manager on that side who then helps put your product in front of their network of people and then tries to get that adoption. We approach it very differently. We kind of say, hey, let everybody in, then market to them because there are people who are interested in your product and figure out what works and what doesn't work, right? Instead of okay. here's like, here's this product, let me sell like you're not selling through cj to them i'm hoping that more merchants kind of interact directly with their network create marketing campaigns you know hey we're having a christmas sale what does that mean for your commissions things like that to help motivate yeah so how do you facilitate that then because that is true most people do come from the let's say if they've been in the game for a little bit they think that's what they think they think they sign up for an affiliate program they're going to be access to all these affiliates influencers whatever they say is on the other side it's a marketplace I can recruit them. They can sign up for me. But to your point, they have to be in that program. If they're not in that program, it's not available to you. Sounds Okay, so this is definitely different what you're talking about refreshing. You're saying, hey, you have tools, but you can enable anyone to become an influencer or affiliate for you. And it sounds like you can do this without too much sign up. Is that, is that accurate? I'd love to hear like, what do you mean like on the recruiting side? Because that is true. I noticed uh, recently when we tried to sign up a couple influencers, they had no idea what these tools were they were like what i don't know what that is i just i make tiktok videos and i crush it okay yeah exactly tell me how i'm gonna get paid (laughs) exactly exactly so we create a registration form that you can embed into your website um and that's like your default form and then we also have a concept of offers so every offer has its own commission rate and its own registration form too so you have a public one and you have a ton of private ones that you can send over and you can also switch affiliates between offers and different 
kind of segments very easily within reversion. So you send them this. Okay, this is very form. different. Yeah, this so is very them. different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it took me a lot because I'm not actually from the industry either, and we kind of just thought about it very differently. But yeah, you you kind of give them all the registration form. You can make that form as easy or as complicated as you want, right? Give me your Instagram profile. Give me your followers. Give me your life story. You can do any of those things and customize the profile. Uh, and that's the way to start kind of getting a mass market program of like, hey, we have this program. Look at it. You know, you can even buy ads to that web page if you want to. Uh, at the same time, a lot of merchants also start by looking at their customer list and seeing like the top customers. Do they have social followings? Do they have any sort of profile? If I Google, I'll go to like Social Blade and look them up. Can I find something? And then give them a private offer and go to them and say, hey, you're a great customer. I'd like to give you you know, more credit on your purchases. I like to give you money back on your purchases. I didn't give you store credit on your purchases, you know, that you drive. Can I help you do that? I think it's a way of like kind of working with like your brand's fans uh, and figuring out a way to motivate them. Okay. But then the, so they sign up for the program, you let them in. That's pretty awesome. And is it, it's, so it's still based on, um, like you say, appended links, right? Like you give them, do you give them tools to let them easily make their own links or do they have to like remember to paste links and stuff? So they have to remember to paste links, but they can also create a link to a specific product if they want to. Okay. So I don't have to create it for them. No, no, you don't have to create like a huge list of links. They should, you know, be able to. Oh, this is so much better. <laughs> yeah. This is basically everyone who's ever managed an affiliate program. Okay. So I'm an influencer. I like, I like something like, let's say uh, I like a, uh, well, I'll just keep using it. I always want to come up with examples that are not actually my <laughs> hobbies, but I can't do it because I only know my hobbies. So, <laughs> so, so again, we'll go back to surfing. I like surfing. And so I'm like, if I'm on an equipment company site. I could be like, Hey, I really like this. Like I said before, like this leash, I like this, these sets of fins. I want to promote them because this is what I like. I'm in control. I go and create my link. I go and create everything. And then I, I do what I want with it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a one-to-one -one program. So like we have Refersion Marketplace. So if you're working with multiple Refersion merchants, you can work with that. But generally speaking, like I go to the surf, if I'm the affiliate, I go to the surfboard website. I see this leash. I'm going to sign up with the brand. I'm not thinking I'm signing up with Refersion. I sign up with the brand. I get my own dashboard yeah. and coupon codes if they provided any links and I can generate my own. I can see my track, I can track my sales and do all that stuff. And then I may find another surfboard company and I'll join them as well. Right. So it's, it's more of an individual kind of brand-based um, kind of approach. Because I'm not going to CJ. I'm not going to Refersion.com and signing up. I'm signing up through the merchant website. So I got to ask now, talk a little about like, did, did, were you yourself? So you don't have experience with affiliates. So how did you know this was the problem? Um, I didn't actually. <laughs> so I, I followed the data. We were, so Alex and I, uh, this is a wild story, but we met in an ad tech meetup. And it was just like a one-time meeting. I was on my way out. He was just standing there and we just kind of chatted. And he had a like he had experience in affiliates because he used to work at Linkshare. Yeah. Everybody had these e-commerce sites and he knew e-commerce and affiliates work really well together. And he saw that there was no affiliate software. And so he started building one. Uh, and he built it kind of the way that he thought affiliate software should work in terms of tracking, in terms of letting people do their own thing. And then I met him and I noticed that there was some success. We had some traction already. And I just started doing customer service, sales, marketing, trying to round out all the different skill sets. What ended up happening was that because we kind of took this approach of like 
integrators. Like we don't, we wanted to focus on a few things really well, like our tracking, our data reporting, giving merchants their dashboards, things like that. We try to like offload as much as possible. So we wanted to build apps to make integration easy. We build integrations to Clavio to do email on the other side. Uh, so what ended up happening was that merchants now can sign up influencers village really easily. They couldn't do on CJ or on, on other businesses, on other incumbents because they would ask for tax information. You're asking like a 16-year-old Instagram user, like fill out this W-9 and give me all this information and it kind of scares them. Uh, and what we found is that merchants used our platform to sign up a lot of influencers, affiliates, and just pay them with PayPal. Very cool. Very cool. So so you had no idea how bad or jacked up the existing world was. It sounds like your co-founder was the one that knew that there was a problem. <laughs> yeah, I think that he he looked at it and there was a problem. But I think it's also how you approach SaaS. Like we were founded maybe five, six years ago. Around that time, a lot of VCs would go to you and say, hey, you need to have a platform or, you know, you're, you're just an app. You're not like a platform in and of itself. Sure. I think that's like the wrong way of thinking about software as a service. Like software, I think, is strong because of interoperability. We're able to, you know, my software is able to work on Windows and Macs or works on all Windows machines, right? So yeah. I think this integration is really important. So I think a lot of the businesses did not build with this integration in mind. And we kind of started with that. We started by building and trying to just offload as much of the work as possible, make it as quick as clicking a few buttons and get integrated um, with all the different e-commerce platforms. So I think our ideas of what makes good software is kind of what led us to this route. Have you and your business partners, have you guys ever sold anything online? I'm curious if you have any experience on the, on the merchant side. <laughs> uh, so I no, I, my background is actually in tech consulting. Um, and so okay. I worked with e-commerce businesses and worked with a big one called Sigma Aldrich at the time. Um, and that was back in like 2013 and they were already doing a billion dollars online, but they <laughs> sold fine chemicals and you need to like have like a real, uh, profile to buy from them. Alex um, actually ran his own hosting company for a bit. Okay. So he sold hosting. Uh, a few other uh, developers at Refersion also did that as well. Uh, it seems to be a common developer entrepreneurship path, I guess. But yeah, we, we learn a lot from our merchants. So we focus on the tech, the measurements, making sure the data flows well. And our entire account management team is here to support merchants on the data, but also learn from them and figure out, okay, what's not working what do we need to measure for you better? What doesn't make sense? Yeah. So I'd love to hear that. So like, what were the merchants, I guess, saying that you were interviewing? Cause like, it's hard to build something for someone when you don't have that seat, but it's also good that you don't have the experience because then you can not make the same mistakes or get, you know, like basically a, a knowledge bias, right? Like, well, I know this. So I'm, you start putting you in a box. So you're, mm -hmm. you have no box, you're building software, but you are hearing the merchant problems. Talk about those first few conversations. What was that like? What were the merchants talking about that let you say, okay, I'm going to go about this in a different way? Honestly, merchants just said, we want an affiliate program. And I looked into it and figured out what an <laughs> affiliate program was, right? Um, and I looked at the tracking technology. We looked at like how, how kind of what they did. And a lot of it, to your point, didn't make sense to me. Like the UIs, yeah. the flows, none, none of that made sense to me. And so we just kind of started building and doing what we thought was right and what we thought made sense. The fundamental ask, if you focus on the fundamental ask, right, is that I have these people who want to promote my business and I have no way to incentivize them and run this process. I need a way right. to run this process. And once we understood that, we understand that maybe there's a concept of profiles, maybe there's concept of payments. And then we're just looking at what's the minimum, what's the smallest amount of clicks to go from one to the other. 
what's the most obvious you know, information architecture that can help the merchant understand, okay, recruitment and you know, setting up a registration page, building that, how do I give them all the kind of breadcrumbs to teach them how to do the thing that I'm trying to get them to do? So that's kind of how we approach that. And my background is in tech consulting, as I mentioned, and I built products for like a lot of different companies. And the reason I, I kind of left consulting is because I wanted to work on products and dig into it and learn more and make it better and better. In tech consulting, you kind of build a product from one to zero and give it away. So I was really good at figuring out, you know, the fundamental problem and coming up with a software solution for it. What I wanted to like was to dig in deeper. Yeah. You had mentioned Pura Vida as one of your clients. I didn't know. Do you have any other clients that you can share about who, who's leveraging your tools to get better influencers? Yeah, um, Secret Lab is using us uh, and we help connect them with IGN. Um, so that's been a fantastic um, kind of relationship for them. Uh, DX Racer is also on our network as well. So I'm, I'm kind of a gamer. So like you, I just I like <laughs> get excited by the gaming brands that I find. I mean, like, there's tons of great brands on Refersion. I just saw one called um, Gold Shop, which like sells like bling and chains, which I thought was pretty okay. cool. <laughs> oh, dude. All right, so... So I, I'll just name the company. This company's called The Shoddy, and they sell jewelry as well. It's funny you mentioned Gold Shop right before I was going to use this use case. Their, their claim to fame is that their pendants are like Alex and Ani pendants, which are each one has a story. The Shoddy necklaces are actually puncturing tools. It's for shotgunning beers. Uh, <laughs> but, but they constantly have people... Like he doesn't know what to do, really. I, I, so I didn't really know this existed. I suggested what I knew, which is, oh, well, you should make them sign up for an affiliate. He constantly has people coming forward because that's the new way now. Like there's a lot of people coming forward and saying, hey, I'm an influencer. So really this kind of technology makes it easy for you to be like, you don't have to, I, I mean, I feel like you don't even have to personally vet too much. Like, hey, I have a sign up form here. You can sign up. You can, get, you can use whatever you want, get links. I'll pay you if you get me a commission. It's a pretty simple conversation. Yeah. And then I, as a merchant, can then, based on the data, as you suggested, be like, okay, these people are doing something for me. I want to get closer to them. These people aren't doing something for me. I think I can turn it off. And you said you also have ways to identify, like, these guys are just clickjacking somehow. Like, these guys are literally trying to insert themselves after a Google search process, like he's running retargeting ads for the search term because he's yeah. a clickjacker. And uh, I'm basically paying PPC for him to get a commission. Like I, I can cut him out of the pool. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that on the referring URL, right? The clickjacking, either they try to hide it. So the referring URL is kind of weird uh, or yeah. it shows like the, um, the Google ad, which has like a G click parameter in it. Um, yeah. But essentially, I mean, the idea is instead of, looking at every affiliate and trying to understand whether or not they're successful before they enter your program. The idea is just let them in and then ask them to prove it. Right. Yeah. That's materially different because like I said, he's constantly having people hit him up like, Hey, yeah. I, I can be an influencer. Then they'll always have a catch. They'll be like, Oh, I can make a story for you. It's going to cost you 500. It's like, Oh geez. I, like, I don't know who to trust, who not to trust. Yeah. Yeah. The pay per, pay per post model is, is definitely tough um, because you don't know what you're going to, it's kind of like buying ads, you know, on, on PPC sure. or anything, because you have to pay up front without, you know, knowing what's going to be the result. And it could be worth it for some of the, you know, higher level influencers I mentioned where you're talking about awareness or consideration, those kind of, yeah, like that awareness post might actually get you a lot of awareness, which is great. And then can help your other influencers, you know, convert better. Uh, so I think there's kind of like a, a strategy for each of these things. And you got to try different strategies for different groups. 
Um, and there's a funnel here that needs to be kind of built out. Based on what you just said, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this post, but it was definitely done. We can look it up. You can Google it right now if you want. One of the Kardashians definitely got paid to post about Febreze. And she talked about how she loves Febreze. And she was in her bed, like her like you know luxurious 35-foot bed or whatever. And she's got all these bottles of Febreze like lined up next to her. She's like, when I want to clean, I use Febreze. This probably cost a million dollars. I don't know what Febreze paid for this, but this probably is pretty expensive. I want to ask, what do you think that worked? I think for her audience, yeah. You know, I think that's one of the cool things about it is like, I always tell merchants you should not do this, but sometimes <laughs> merchants find an influencer, right? And then give them content and say, hey, post this. But yeah. that's, that kind of defeats the whole purpose. The goal is to work with content creators and have them create content for you, right? And give them the messages so they can be enabled to kind of do that for you. Um, so I think this is one of those examples where if you're not a big fan, maybe it doesn't appeal to you. But if you're a huge fan of hers and you consume her content like that every day, this might might work. I don't know. I need to go home and ask my wife. She's she's kind of fan. Oh yeah, Kardashian Febreze. I mean, just look at how see if this. this if is, I start seeing I mean, a lot of Febreze in my house, I'll know that's where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I mean, I, I have no idea they continue to pay that family. Like they, so like you're absolutely correct. At that size and stature with that kind of reach, sometimes it can be worth it. For smaller merchants, we already talked about this. It's very difficult to invest your money because you only have so many marketing dollars to go with. But I really like this idea of let people organically who already like your brand, instead of like going to go, you know, we already talked about how the old way of doing it is like, you know, you're going through like this database almost of like, it's very difficult to figure out who's going to work for you. It takes quite a bit of effort, actually. Yeah. So when they ask you, hey, can you pay for this post? You say, I can't necessarily do that, but I like your audience. I like your postings. I like your content. Why don't I send you maybe a product and then I'll pay you after if your post generates any revenue. Very fascinating. All right. Before you go, Shiva, it was awesome having you on the show, but we got to transition over to the next segment. And that segment is the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And what we'd like for you to do is answer each question in a minute or less. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. What's the one thing that you think will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? I think it's going to be influencer marketing. Everybody's talking about it. This is just the beginning. Will TikTok surpass Facebook in attributed sales? That's a really good question. I don't think so because Facebook has just more properties. I think TikTok would need to acquire more, like more WhatsApps or like build their own Instagram um, in order to get that. I think Facebook is just has way too much reach and they basically have a profile on every single person on the planet. Uh, yeah. We, so we ran, we ran uh, some TikTok ads, just so you reference. We had 5 million views and like $2,000 in sales. And then we ran the same Facebook campaign and it gave us way less views, but it actually had more sales. People keep saying they don't use Facebook anymore. They they lying. <laughs> we're all using Facebook, just like how we're all using Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. People, people. Well, I don't use Facebook. Okay, you lie though. <laughs> what e-commerce tools or technologies besides your own that you're most excited about? Uh, I really like some of these um, data aggregation companies. Uh, like Glue uh, is really cool because it helps you kind of do what we believe in, which is like figuring out apples to apples. How do I measure things uh, all consistently? Um, so like a lot of data products are, are really fun for us. I also really like Recharge. I think 
they are very fascinating. Oh, everything subscription? Yeah. Subscription I, billing, recharge? I think so. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting for merchants to have this kind of recurring billing uh, business uh, side. I think, I think it's, it's fun. Uh, they're, they're a great group of folks and they're really focused on, on building really, really good software as well. What's something that happened in 2020 that you hope sticks around for the rest of 2021 and beyond? I guess <laughs> self-motivated. <laughs> We're looking at it the would, positive. We're look, trying to look for the positive. <laughs> I think e-commerce, like um, I don't think that's going to go down. I think those in the e-commerce space have seen a, a good growth and I hope that continues. And it looks like it is. With that being said, is it going to be easier or harder to start your own e-commerce business going forward? Because is it going to be easier because the tools are easier or is it going to be harder because there's going to be more competition than ever? That's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure. I do think the tools are going to be easier. Fundamentally, it's, it's going to be more niches and more people selling very to like their small audiences. Everybody's going to become a little brand. Okay. Then that begs the next question. It sounds like it's going to be harder though to succeed. Not if you have a good niche, right? Like if you have a strong audience and you're, you might not sell billions of dollars, but if you sell consistently um, to your strong you know, audience, it, it can be successful. I like that. Both easier and more profitable if you focus on niches. Shibo, I want to thank you for joining us today on Up Next to Commerce. Your insight was awesome. I thought you did a great job explaining to you know old school people like me like what is different about your platform than others. And I'm with you. If I was uh, if it was available to me and I was selling things, I would give it a try. I will recommend. I'm going to give it a try. Listen, I'm going to give your product a try. Don't don't flood me with these click jackers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll do my best. If yeah, I'm going to give it a try. I'll, I'll report back and let you know how the influencer goes because I'm telling you, these companies that uh, I'm familiar with, they all have the same problem which you're trying to solve right now, which is all these people TikTok. It doesn't really matter where they are influential. They're coming forward and saying, "Hey, I can influence your brand." How do I participate? And they don't know. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.